Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that in observance of the Jewish holidays, the Be Impactful podcast will be taking a bit of a break for the next two weeks. Take this opportunity to scroll back through the catalog and catch up on any episodes you may have missed. Let me know in the reviews and ratings which episodes you love. It helps me pick future guests that you'll enjoy. Oh, and Impact Fashion will be shipping right up until the holidays, so no need to worry, you can still score some goodies. Shana Tova, and I'll see you on October 12th. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with a mom and lawyer doing her best to make it all work. She shares how she rethunk her partnership and marriage to make it work for their lives and how she fully handed off that mental load. Chaya Appel-Fishman is unapologetic. As you'll hear today, it's rare for women to be in the field of corporate law, rarer even for those women to be mothers. And she'd be the last person to claim that she does it all, whatever that means. But she makes it work for her life and makes no apologies. So I was expelled in the fifth grade. Um, I'm actually, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. So when people have really problematic children, they say, call Hana Appel, that's my mom. because look at, you know, her daughter, Chaya turned out, she turned out okay. Um, so I'm sort of that model for people with crazy children who are like, oh, she's a responsible adult. She's, she sort of made it, um, whatever that might mean. Um, so I was, I was tough. I had a lot of chutzpah, a lot of chutzpah, uh, total disregard for authority. Uh, but I was also, I was really brave. I ran a business when I was really young. So um, what kind of business was it? So I ran a conglomerate of creative arts programs. At, I rented a college university. Um, there were 120 campers in it. Um, I, I kind of some days I'm like, I should have should have stuck with that. There was real money there. <laughs> um, but I, I actually, I always worked really hard from when I was a young kid. And I really credit my mom. At the time, I was kind of resentful that I had to work for things. You know, if I wanted something extra, my mom would say, make some money and, and buy it. And, and that I sort of, I was at the time, I didn't appreciate how valuable that was, but, you know, adulting came very easy to me when I graduated high school and then, you know, went on to seminary, I had all my own spending money and I had a significant amount of spending money. When I went to undergrad, I was able to put myself through, um, I had a partial scholarship, but I also, I had a significant amount of money from working, running this business for, it was four summers that I did this. Uh, and then, you know, when I graduated college, I had my first job and then decided to go to law school. I always had a really strong work ethic and it sort of came naturally to me because I'd been conditioned from a very young age to work for the things that I wanted and things were not really just handed to me. So I really am grateful to my mom now as an adult, you know, as a kid, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't as positive about having to do that. But uh, that's that's actually something interesting. I struggle with with my own kids because they're living a lifestyle that's a lot more extravagant than mine was, and I still want them to have that work ethic. So I want to give them the world, but I also want them to learn how to work really hard. So I constantly sort of try to balance that with encouraging, especially my eight year old. He's very entrepreneurial to, you know, to be independent, 
to make money on his own. He's got, he rents out a cotton candy machine and a bounce house. I fronted him the money. And so he's got a little business there, but it's hard. I think it's hard. China, you know, you want to give your kids everything and you want them to have that work ethic, which I think I'm a big fan of that book by Angela Duckworth Grit. Are you familiar sure. with it? Yeah. yeah. So I'm a big fan of like, it's kind of, how do you develop grit, you right. know, and, and not, not when you just give everyone everything. So. That, right. It's also you know. because a part of your, a part of your success story, a part of your having made it, like you say, is the ability to give your kids everything, the ability to just give your kids whatever it is that you, that they want. And that doesn't translate so well when, um, you know, when you want them to have those same opportunities. Talk to me about the decision to go to law school, because that is a significant that's a significant decision. And I know that you, uh, you're an m a lawyer now and um, in a firm and you have a, you know, you live that whole lawyer lifestyle. And I do want to dive into that. But what was it about, you know, what made you close your business and decide to go to law? So it's really, I really didn't think it was such a big decision at the time. I kind of just did it. Um, so, so I knew that I was going to get, I got married right after I graduated undergrad and I was working as a financial analyst uh, very briefly. And I knew that I was either, I wanted some sort of graduate degree. So it was either going to be an MBA or it was going to be a JD. So it was law school or business school. And it seemed like law school, business school gave you great credentials and a great skill set, but didn't necessarily translate into a fixed sort of professional path. Whereas law did, you know, if I went to law school, I'd be a lawyer. And um, there's obviously a lot of different kinds of law jobs, but I, I felt that it gave me a little bit more of a fixed path. I couldn't take on the financial risk of a business. I was starting a family. I My husband was in school. And so I needed to choose a professional path that had high earning power and didn't have a lot of risk. Now, a lot of people will disagree and they'll say, well, law has a ton of risk. I went to law school right after the sub, subprime mortgage crisis where jobs were very few and far between. But there's a, a very specific formula with law school for the most part, which is if you work really hard and you're in the top, you know, 10 to 20%, you're going to get a good law job, which is going to be really hard, but you're going to make, you know, the salaries are pretty um, fixed across the board, especially at the big firms. So you know kind of what your earning power is going to be. And you know, if you do it for a certain amount of years, then you can go in-house um, or you can make partner and make even more money. And so there's a lot of clarity there. I knew I wanted to something in the business space. So I knew that if I was going to do law over business, I was definitely interested in corporate law. Um, my, I actually, we had, I found out I was pregnant right before law school started. So having a baby my first year of law school was definitely one of the more irresponsible or crazy things to do, um, to be, to be honest, but it was, it was doable. I mean, like with anything else, you kind of just, you kind of just power through and just do what you got to do. Um, but why did I choose law? I mean, it, I didn't have this, I don't have this like, uh, idealistic answer of like, I loved, you know, especially the kind of law I was interested in, which was business law. Like it wasn't like social justice or changing the world. It was, I, I love business and I want to kind of help put businesses together I want to help negotiate deals and I want to be, I want to be at the table when big things are happening in the business space. And I felt like that would put me there. Uh, and I also felt like it was a stable, reliable job, assuming that I was going to do very well. I, I happened to, to do, to generally do pretty well academically in school. 
I don't do so well on standardized tests, but I do do well once I'm in an academic setting. So I didn't think it was crazy for me to kind of make it to that, you know, top 20%. Um, so, you know, I looked at the risk involved and I looked at what the payout would be and it, it made a lot of sense. It's also very versatile, like a law degree. A lot of people practice law for a bunch of years. And then I knew a number of entrepreneurs. I knew people in the business space who had started off as, as corporate lawyers and then, you know, pivoted. So it felt like this is a really good place for what I want to do now. And it also gives me flexibility for later. So, I mean, but in terms of, was it a huge decision? I mean, I didn't really think of it that way. It's a couple years of, of school, right? So I guess I didn't think that it was any crazier than any other career path other than I didn't know a lot of observant women who were corporate lawyers. I knew observant women who were in family law. I knew real estate lawyers um, who were observant, uh, Sabbath observant, et cetera. But I, I didn't know any in corporate with the exception of one, which is my husband's aunt, who's a partner at a very large law firm in New York. And so I spent some time shadowing her before I made the choice to go to law school. Um, but but she's she's also she's kind of more in the fun space, whereas I knew I wanted to be more in corporate's M and A space. Uh, so that's still different. So so yeah, but I did, I didn't at the time realize it was such a big decision. Right. It's it's interesting that you point out. You're right that there are very few um, observant or orthodox women who are in you know the lawyerly space that you are in specifically in corporate law. But it's really common among corporate uh, among um, observant men. Really common. Like I can rattle off five different lawyers that I'm related to, let alone that I know. Yeah. And I want, I mean, I, I have to imagine that the, the difference is based purely on the family life aspect of it. Yeah. So I used to blame this. I used to be like, what's wrong with the observant community? Like, why are there no female corporate lawyers? Why are there no females in corporate? Forget law, you know? So for example, so, and then I became a corporate lawyer and I go to, I'm part of the ACG, it's the Association for Corporate Growth. And so you go to these events and it's, it's not just, it's anyone who's in the deal-making space goes to these events. So you have investment bankers, you have accountants, um, you have different business consultants, and then you have lawyers there, obviously. And, you know, you can walk into these rooms and I automatically, whenever I go to one of these events, it's like a, I just have this thing that I do. I start counting. First, I count how many women are in the room. And then I look how many um, women of color are in the room. Then I look at how many observant women are in the room, right? Like I, I start counting numbers. I start doing a tally of like which, which minority groups are represented. And I found again and again that there's just no women there are no women in corporate, very few. I don't want to say no, because there's obviously women in corporate, but there's very few. And it's not, it has nothing to do with being an observant Jew. It's universally, you know, we've made progress, but we've made very little progress. And there aren't a lot of women in corporate. And that's usually because it ties back to family. It's not a flexible space. It's not a space that makes it easy to navigate family. And, you know, especially as, you have a lot of junior associates who are women. Um, again, not a lot, but when you do have women, they tend to be more junior. And as they become more senior, they start or they start building families. Uh, they tend to they tend to drop out or they tend to be turned down from advancing for a lot of reasons, which is a whole podcast in itself. But um, yeah, that was a very interesting uh, observation that I had pretty early on in my career. Was you know, wow, I can't 
can't blame the Orthodox community for this. This is, this is a world problem. And I always automatically connect to, especially when someone's a mom and they're in corporate, there's just this connection and you can't even explain it. It's like you both are part of this chaos that just can't even be articulated, you know? Chaos in what way? Just the coordination of your schedule? So the corporate world, I mean, especially the M&A world. So for anyone watching this who or listening to this that doesn't know what that means, it's mergers and acquisitions. So it's the buying and selling of companies. So it's the deal-making space where deals happen. And it's extremely fast-paced. It's not very forgiving. Um, it's extremely aggressive. And kind of all of the adjectives you would use to describe the space uh, stereotypically would be aligned with men. You know, if you'd assign a gender, it would be they'd sound male, aggressive, um, you know, strong, powerful. Um, and, and again, you know, the world is shifting and embracing more and more women in the space and more women are embracing the space, but it's, it's, it's not typical. And so, you know, when you're, there's so many layers to this. I mean, there's balancing the family, which, you know, typically that burden falls more on on the women than the men, um, which, you know, I know within my family, I've worked very hard to shift that, but it's, it hasn't been natural. Uh, though it is for some, I don't think that's typical across the board. I think it's more typical that the family roles tend to automatically fall on uh, or more naturally fall on the women. Um, I think, so you've got the family piece and then you've got just in terms of personalities and just gender stereotypes, what people assume, you know, being able to sit at a table as a woman and speak as loudly and be taken as seriously is a struggle for a lot of people. Um, you know, the world hasn't fully really embraced that we can, we can do just as good as a job. What so is I something, is, is there something that you've done for yourself specifically to feel more empowered to speak up when you're at the table to say, actually, I have a great idea here and this is what I want to put forward. So I've been extraordinarily lucky because for the most part in my law career, I've worked for, I've worked for a couple partners, but one partner, mostly one, a single partner who um, I had advocated to get put on his deal team. I really liked the kind of deals he was doing. Um, and I, he, he didn't really put first or second year associates on his deals, on his deal teams. And I sort of, when I was a second year associate, I waltzed into his office and I said, I want a shot, put me on your team. And this partner's is a work ethic I've never seen or I had never been exposed to before. I mean, he goes into the office at 3 a.m. every day, um, but also was a very strong family guy, had, had two young kids. And it was really interesting because working for him, he sort of, he just threw you into the water and said, swim. Like there was no, there was never a, a training component. There was never a, let me try her out. It was like, okay, you, you say you can do this. All right, right. Show me what you've got. And he would just throw me in. He, I never felt with this partner that I always felt comfortable speaking up and he, he wasn't, he's not a soft guy. I mean, he's like, he'll, he'll tell you, you know, that, that idea is, you know, stinks or you did a bad job here or you know always but is has always consistently pushed me um really to do more than i ever thought i could or to try you know to 
negotiate things that I didn't think I was ready to do or draft things that I, w- I didn't think I was ready for. He sort of always just pushed me and always assumed I was going to be able to get it done. And that in itself was super empowering. So, so being working for somebody who just threw me in and never treated the male associates or the female associates any differently was, was really, really wild. Um, and I didn't even realize how unusual this was until we were at a closing dinner for, it was a couple hundred million dollar deal. And so when a deal closes, usually the investment bankers, um, we represented the seller. So the investment bankers, a little bit after the deal closes, they'll have this huge dinner. I mean, I, like it, it's, it's at some posh you know, restaurant. Sometimes you fly somewhere for it. It can be in another state. It could be in another country. And it brings together the, you know, the sellers, the investment bankers, the lawyers, anyone who made the deal happen and they celebrate. And when I was there, we had been co-counsel with another, um, with another firm. And so their associates were there too. And, you know, one of them made this comment to me, like, you know, you have such an amazing, how did you, how do you have this kind of rapport with this partner? Like, how did, you know, he really talks to you like an equal. And I had never, thought about how wild that was. Um, but that was a very empowering experience that I kind of, even as a junior associate was sort of just treated as like, yeah, you, you can do this, just get it done. There was no like rah, rah, rah cheerleading speech. It was like, I'm giving you this work because it's obviously, I believe you can handle it. So get it done. And, um, so I didn't, I, I haven't had, I had to speak up to get on his team. Like I wasn't, he didn't give me a chance. Like I didn't walk, walk into the law firm and he's like, Hey, there's a new associate. Let me give her a chance until I walked into his office and said, I want to be on your deal team, throw me something. Um, and I, and I did that until I did that. Um, I wasn't on, but once, once he put me on the team, I, I was always, I never needed to be pushed to speak up. I always felt very comfortable because he always treated me as an equal. And that's, was a very, has been a very powerful experience and something that I want to, I really want to try to do with anyone I work with, like create a space where they feel they are on, you know, equal footing. Um, Cause that's not, that's not a natural thing, which it is something I took for granted. Once people pointed out to me, I realized like, wow, I'm very lucky. Right. You mentioned before how a lot of times in, you know, in partnerships, a lot of times the mom becomes the default parent. You know, if, if something needs to happen, then it'll fall on the mom or on the woman. How does, you know, I, I can imagine that doing, doing this without a supportive family is probably near impossible. How, how does partnership factor into the way that your, that your life runs? So we had to rethink and reimagine what that looks like. Um, you know, I've, most of the successful women that I have talked to have, you know, husbands who are either stay-at-home dads or they are just wildly supportive. Like there's a very clear, you know, whether it's they're handling all the childcare or they're handling a very large chunk, they're very, very much involved. Um, and, and for most of the women that I have talked to, that is sort of natural for whatever reason, whether their husband grew up in a family where that was the case or their husband likes playing the more, um, the stronger parental role or home role. Um, I don't know how they landed where they landed, but that's what I have found with women who are wildly successful. It's because they have achieved either some level of real partnership, again, means different things in different relationships. Um, and there's very few who they kind of both 
are very strongly pursuing careers and it's they haven't naturally figured out who's doing what. And I would say I fall into that category where we had to super rethink. Um, my husband has his own busy schedule. He did not grow up with a stay-at-home dad. And so we there was a certain point um, for a long time, I did everything. I did, I did too much. Um, you know, when I was in law school, I went to school at night and my husband was, was with our, um, older son and he did, you know, he did all the nights while I was in school. But when I started working, um, and we do, and he do carpool. I mean, I think there's, there's the easy check off the box stuff, like who's dropping off and picking up the kids. And then there's the massive emotional labor that comes with having children of the, coordinating and remembering and, um, for the, the thinking ahead of, you know, um, you know, this, it's not just like the school supplies, there's the easy stuff that you could hand off. And then there's all the other stuff. And I carried that burden of all the stuff on my own, I would say, um, in the beginning and, and not because, and not because my husband wasn't willing to, I just, I just, na it naturally fell on me and I just naturally did it. And then there was a certain point where, I sort of broke and was like, this doesn't work. Um, this is too much. I'm working too many hours and I'm caring too much. And so we had to sort of sit down and, um, and I had to say, you know, I need you to pull more weight here and we had to map it out. Um, and I think we're still sort of working through that dance. I mean, every day we've made like a ton of progress and my husband does a lot. Um, whether it's coordinating a grocery delivery, whether it's, figuring out what we're doing for Shabbos, you know, um, you know, for meals for the weekend, whether it means um, keeping track of the doctor appointments, where, you know, there's certain pieces where I've said, this is, this is yours, you need to handle this. And there's certain pieces where now he just knows, he steps in and does it, but we're still constantly navigating that because it wasn't natural for us as a couple. And, and that's, that's very, very challenging. And I think, you know, for, a woman who wants to have a real career, um, you, ha you have to find a partner who can handle that. And I was very lucky. My husband was never sort of um, intimidated by me being my success and always very much wanted me to, he pushed me to law school. He pushed me to work at a, um, you know, at a mid-sized firm. Um, he's always, he pushed me to M&A. He's always been very supportive of like, you know, go as far as you can, as high as you climb, as high as you can. But I think that there's a lot of, you know, there's the supporting of pushing and, and being supportive, like the rah, rah, rah. And then there's the actually coming through and providing the underlying support to enable that success to happen. And that's been something we've had to navigate and we've had to work on and figure out together as a couple. And it has not been easy. So you know, for, for single women out there, you've got to find someone who's not afraid of your career and who's also willing to do the legwork for you to be able to pursue it. You know, and if you're in a marriage right now and you're struggling with this, you've got to really push hard. Um, there was a point where I said to, where my husband really started picking up a lot more pieces. And I said, like, what made you suddenly change? And he said to me, um, well, you, you asked, and I was able to see you weren't able to do it all. And, and I, it was really shocking for me that he had thought that I could do it all for a really long time. And I think that type A personalities, we tend to make things look easy and we tend to sort of enable because we like, we just do everything because it's easier than us handing it off because we like it done a certain way. 
and it was super jarring to hear my husband say like, well, you just did it all for a long time. And I couldn't believe that I had sort of made it look so easy when I, when I was working so, so hard. Um, but looking back, I did. I mean, I didn't, I, I'm not a complainer and I kind of just, you know, did what I had to do. So I would say, I don't even remember what your question was. Was it, what is, what is the partnership look like? I think you have to figure it out for yourselves and you have to fight really hard for it and work really hard for it together and, um, and don't give up. And, and I would say, um, when you hand stuff off, you have to learn how to hand them off completely. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going on for a while. Should I, do you, do you want to interject? Keep going. This is fantastic. Yeah. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you, for example, going back to this emotional labor piece. So I would be like, I'd be in all the chats, like the teacher chats, the carpool chats, the, um, the after school activity chats, right? There were these like WhatsApp groups. And so I would text my husband, okay, child, you know, eight-year-old needs to go here at such and such time. Here's the address, you know, and then there would be a change and it would be communicated in the WhatsApp chat, like that there would be a time change or baseball was canceled or whatever it is, right? And I'd be on the emails, I'd be on the chat. So then I'd have to communicate it to him, right? So even though I handed it off to him, I still had all these pieces in my court. So I still had this emotional labor. So I hadn't really offloaded the task completely. So one of the biggest pieces of advice I would say is once you decide who's doing what, you got to offload it completely. You got to put your husband in the chat. It doesn't matter if he's the only man, you know, in the, in the chat, it's all a bunch of moms, you know, who cares? He's got to be able to do it completely from A to Z soup to nuts without your involvement. And, um, once I did that, you know, especially adding him to the, there was, you know, my son is entering the third grade this year, especially with COVID hitting. There were just so many emails and there was Zoom, Zoom logins and they kept changing. I was the only parent who was on the teacher's email um, string. And so the emails would come and then I'd forward them to my husband and then I'd have to make sure that he got them and then they'd come, then there would be a change. And then it was like crazy. And at a certain point I was like, what am I doing? And I emailed the teacher and I copied my husband and I said, please add, you know, my husband to the email chat and please, here's his phone number, please add him to the WhatsApp chat. And if there are any changes or communications, please message him because, you know, during COVID, I, you know, we, now we have three kids. I had, I had a baby six weeks ago, but, um, so thank God I'm on maternity leave. But before maternity leave hit, I was, you know, working on, you know, crazy hours and also trying to do this distance learning, which was a flop for our family. Um, and you know, all that coordination was just impossible, but I hadn't until I fully offloaded, I was still like, you know, I had the support, but it wasn't, I, I was still worrying about it. I'm still carrying the emotional labor because I checked my emails to make sure that I didn't have to be forwarding anything. I mean, it was, it was crazy town. So, you know, once you hand it off, just hand it off soup to nuts that if you disappeared off the radar are, they would be completely able to function without you. They should have every babysitter's number. Your partner should have every, every babysitter number, you know, every doctor's number, every, you know, every teacher contact. I mean, every, everything, every extracurricular, they should have it if they are playing a role. Um, they shouldn't need to ask you. Um, and I think there's also ways to make stuff more easily accessible. Like, you know, even just we had a funny interaction last night. My husband needed one of our ch child's social security numbers. It was like, 
Okay, here's where we keep all of our important information, you know, set up, whether it's a Google Drive, whether it's physical documents, you know, and everyone knows where they are. Um, obviously, I'm happy to dig stuff up. And as a couple, sometimes I have more access to certain things because I fill out more forms or whatever it is. But make sure if you really want support, make it easy to be supported. Right. The I'm glad that you brought up COVID-19 because as you're describing all of your you know, your, your partnerships and the way that you divide things and, and all of that. The only thing that's going through my head is I bet you all of this fell apart in March when, you know, any work that you had done until then, I'm sure, you know, it took a couple steps backwards and, you know, you're, you were working from home, your children were learning from home, how, like, and there's also been a lot of talk about how with the pandemic, women's careers are being affected at a much more severe level just because like we said before, a lot of times the mom is the default parent and you, there's only so many hours in the day. So what has the past few months been like for you? Um, I'd say hell, hellish a little bit, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, there's a lot of positive too. I'm spending a lot more time with my family, which has been wonderful. I mean, one thing I'll add to your comment about, you know, um, with COVID-19, a lot of thing, more things falling on the women. A, a large reason for that is also because, you know, when you have a couple and they say, hey, someone's got to take a step back right now because we, we don't have school and outside providers helping in all of the ways they normally do. So someone else has to play that role. Who's going to play it? Often, you're going to look at earning power. You're going to look at income. You're going to say, well, whose career right now, whose employment is more important to sustaining our family? And, you know, across the board, men get paid more than women. So what happens is, is often a couple says, okay, well, you know, you're making more money. So, you know, I guess I'll have to take a step back from my career right now. And, you know, what's wild is when a woman takes a step back, it is much harder for her to get back into the game than it is for a man. So not only is, you know, is she stepping back from a ton of advancement she may have already made, she's throwing herself back even farther. Um, you know, it's not just she's stepping off for a little bit and she's going to come right back. It's, you know, usually going to be much harder for her to get back into the playing field on the playing field in the same way. Um, but, you know, but to your question in terms of, of navigating that, I mean, I think for us, it, it was very interesting. I mean, another thing is if you want to be talking about being easy to support, you can't micromanage. You've got to just be comfortable with however your, your partner is going to handle things, even if they're different than how you would have done them. And that was, that was hard for me to be home and to see in real time how things were getting done um, and to just sort of let go because I had to realize, okay, I delegated you know, these, this number of um, you know, household um, responsibilities to my spouse I may not love how it's getting done, but I delegated it out because I cannot do it. So once I've, I've pushed it off, I've got to keep my mouth shut. And, and that was hard because I could see in real time how it was unfolding and it wasn't always the way I wanted it. Um, I, I think, you know, women, women did take a big hit, um, you know, for the reasons that I mentioned. I think that, um, I think that for me, it was, it was, I, I've never experienced stress like I did during COVID-19. I mean, there was a point where I just have this moment, remember this moment where I was running a call on a really large deal and the investment bankers were on the call and the client was on the call and I was running it. So I couldn't put my phone on mute 
and I was in my bedroom where I had set up a makeshift office, um, which by the way, I had set up an office in my basement, a beautiful office. The minute COVID-19 hit, my law firm was very good about helping everyone go remote. But my internet was so spotty when I worked down there that I ended up having to move upstairs. And so I'm in the middle of running this call and one of my children was smashing on my bedroom door and I shifted into the master bathroom because I felt like, you know, I needed two doors and you could still hear it. And, and one of the bankers was like, Haya, is everything okay? Is everything okay over there? And I sort of, I had this moment where I was like, I'm nine months pregnant, there's a pandemic and my children are home and someone's smashing on the door right now. Like, no, I'm not okay. And I'm trying to keep my job. Like, I am not okay. And I was just like, and I was very, I had this raw moment where I was like, well, you know, I have a child who's trying to smash down my bedroom door uh, with a baseball bat right now. Um, and I'm nine months pregnant and we're just trying to get this deal done. So I'm just doing my best. You're going to have to bear with me here. And I just worked through the call and everyone put up with the smashing. It was, you know, I was like, just imagine it's like construction in the background, you know, or we're working in Manhattan and you're dealing with sirens or whatever it is, you know, I was like, everybody just envisioned with me that that's what's happening. And I just kind of powered through because I didn't have any other alternative. Um, but it was, it was really hard. And I found that, you know, during, especially during COVID, I just had to be I just had to throw humor at everything and just roll with the punches. People were, for the most part, understanding. I mean, there was one call where we were talking to, you know, the we were representing the seller. We were talking to the, the counsel, the lawyers that were representing the buyer. And the call ended up being much faster. It was, like, supposed to be a one-hour call. And after 20 minutes, like, we had worked through all the issues. And the partner, he was, he's actually the managing partner of this very big firm. And the call is, like, it should be finished. And he goes, he says to everyone, he's like, is, are you sure there's nothing else we should talk about? Because my, you know, I told my wife I needed an hour and, and I'm really afraid to go back out there right now. It's pretty chaotic in this household. Can we just, and I was like, oh my gosh, he's speaking my language. I couldn't believe this like raw vulnerable moment from, from a guy, you know? And I, um, I felt so seen, you know, at that, at that moment, but, but everyone sort of, understood and you know you know the, the clients were understanding my firm was understanding but at the end of the day like deals have to get done the work has to get done um and i think that you know being home there was everyone had to step up to the plate in a lot more ways and there was there was a lot of stress i think that also any challenges that any family faces with their kids behavioral with their kids um or you know issues you know normal marital you know conflicts are very, were very much amplified because you were stuck in this petri dish where you know normal life is normal issues are diluted by regular life and then right. you're kind of in this pressure cooker so it was it was it was rough i'm very relieved to be on maternity leave right now um i'm stressed for when i go back and you know seeing that this pandemic's really not over um I'm, i am worried worried about that I'm sure. And, you know, and you're also going to need to figure out under normal circumstances, I'm sure that you would have childcare and, and all of that worked out for your newborn. And that's, I'm guessing, not an option right now, just because pandemic. So just the scheduling yeah. of that is, it's, it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot to take on. Yeah, we have a ton of support, um, uh, paid support. We don't have any local family. So we have a ton of, we call them teammates, and um, a ton. And we've, um, you know, that's, that's one thing 
even though I work really hard, I've been lucky that I've been able to, um, you know, I'm in the kind of job where you work really hard, but, but, but you have the ability to pay for a lot of support staff, which I've, I've always had. And, you know, I joke, this is, this is the first baby that I, I didn't, I didn't have a baby nurse. Right. So the Jap inside of me um, has had to majorly readjust. But, you know, I joked with, with my husband, I said, you know, we were able to keep a baby alive just fine. We, we were able to do that. And, um, you know, we're, we're actually a lot more competent than we thought. I've definitely YouTubed a lot of things. I don't have a lot of confidence when it comes to newborns. I'm like, I love, I think I'm actually great with kids, but newborns, I, I find a little terrifying. So not having support with a newborn was really scary and not even having like my mom or my sister. I mean, we had, no, we had nobody. Um, whereas with my previous babies, I had family support and I, I always had a baby nurse helping me out. Um, so that was a little scary, but it turns out that we're, you know, we're perfectly competent and uh, we, you know, we can, we can get it done. So <laughs> that's good to know. Yeah. I'm like, we, do, we can do this. Look this is that. good. This is a, a good new skill, skill set to know. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned at the very beginning, you said that people would, you know, if someone was having a problem kid, they would say, you know, talk to your mom because yeah. Kaya turned out fine. Yeah. What, uh, you know, she, she made it. She, she figured it out somehow. What does that mean to you? What does making it mean to you? So it's interesting because when I was saying that, I was saying that in the context of like from the outside world, right? I have a stable, normal job and I'm contributing to society, I guess, in like a healthy, meaningful way, right? That's like from, from an outsider, right? So I'd be, you know, considered someone who's made it. In terms of what it means to have made it, like for me personally, um, I think about this a lot. I mean, I think for me having, you know, happy kids who are doing good things for the world and have empathy and are kind. That to me is like the ultimate, I've made it. You know, I, I see my, my kid standing up to a bully um, who's bothering someone else. You know, um, I see, you know, my, my kids loving each other and, and, and sharing. Um, you know, to me, that's like, I've, I've made it. Um, I think in terms of what I wanna give back to the world, um, philanthropically, community-wise, um, professionally, I feel very much that I'm, I'm not there yet. Um, I, feel, I feel professionally I'm, I'm where I want to be right now, but I don't see this as my end game. Um, I'm sort of, especially because of COVID, I've had to rethink a lot of things career-wise. Um, a certain child of mine has an interesting um, learning and behavioral profile, and it requires a lot more presence, not necessarily time, but presence, which my, my job right now, um, the career path I'm on, doesn't really enable me to provide. I'm really proud that I've always felt, I really haven't felt any mommy guilt with my career. I've always felt I've done a really good job of balancing my kids. Um, I've done some crazy things. I wake up at a very, very early time to try to get to the office earlier so I can always be home for dinner and bedtime. I very rarely have missed you know, dinner or bedtime with my kids. I feel um, I'm extraordinarily close with my kids. I'm really, you know, um, when we have time together, it's quality time. So I'm, I'm really proud of how I've balanced working and being a mom. And I don't feel any guilt. But being home... Um, a certain child of mine, you know, again, want to protect his privacy, but has a unique behavioral profile and struggles with different sensory issues, et cetera. And just from spending so many hours with him, I see that 
I, um, I can't outsource certain elements of his care to just to professionals that I have to be much more present in, in the growth and development there. And it's making me rethink some of the choices. Again, it's not about the hours. It's about being able to be fully focused, which I have a very hard time because I do deals and I'm constantly being pulled. And so I'm, I'm sort of reconsidering and rethinking how I'm going to reconcile that. And I don't, I don't know the answer. Um, you know, it's not as simple as just pivot to different, a different kind of law. I love the kind of law that I practice. It's not as simple as going part-time because that's not really so practical in the area of law that I practice. So I, I really have to be thoughtful about what, how I want to navigate this. Um, but in terms back to your question of like, have I, have I made it? I mean, I, I'd say, I, I, you know, I'd say for me, there's kind of three, three categories. There's how am I doing with my family relationships um, and my personal relationships? So with my, between, you know, me and my kids, how are my kids doing between my husband and I, um, with my, as a friend, then there's the category of community. Like, how am I giving back? You know, when I say community, I don't just mean my direct community. I mean, how am I giving back meaningfully to the world? Um, and that's not just in dollars, that's, you know, in time, what am I doing to make the world a better place? Um, how am I kind of fulfilling what my role in the universe is? And then there's, you know, professionally, like, you know, am I, um, you know, am I growing professionally? Is this the career path that I want? Do I feel like I'm, you know, where I'm supposed to be? And I feel like I'm doing okay in area one, you know, with, with my family, um, for the most part. I, I feel like with the world, I, 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 I want to be flexing those muscles a lot more. I want to be giving back a lot more. And um, so I haven't made it yet, to answer your question. Um, You'll figure it out. But I'm sure I have time. I'm, I'm 31, so I feel like I have a little time. Um, and like I said, with career, I'm, I'm navigating what, you know, what's next. And I like where I'm at now. I think I'm at a good place now but I'm definitely not there yet. And I'm, and I'm sure that you'll figure it out. This has been a fantastic conversation. And I know that there are so many women who listen to this, who are going to, who are, who are going to gain from this and who are going to hear themselves in what you had to say. If someone wants to be in touch with you, Chaya, or learn more about you, where can they go? So I'm on Instagram. Uh, it's a private account. So if you've got a weird name, I'm not going to accept you. It's app, A-P-P underscore fish, F-I-S-H. Um, you can also email me at Chaya, C-H-A-Y-A, at thejwe.com, T-H-E-J-W-E.com. Um, I think those are the best, the best ways. Great. And the last thing that I want to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes on the show, and that is to you, Chaya, what does it mean to make an impact? What does it mean to make an impact? I think, so I think to make an impact means that you have clarity of what are your God-given talents, what are the unique skills and circumstances that have been, you know, placed in your lap and how are you using them to make a difference uh, in, a, in a special way? So, you know, taking, understanding kind of what you bring to the table and where the world may need you and then doing work in those spaces. I think to me, that's where, where you make impact um, versus a generic, you know, just making a difference. I think it's making a difference, understanding what you, where you are needed and where you have unique skills to bring in and to, and to make, make change happen. That's what I, that's what it means to me. 
That's a long answer. I'm sorry. That's hey. Thank you so much for coming on. That was fantastic. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Chaya, her Instagram and email are linked in the show notes. There you'll also find links to the most comfortable mask and at-home activities, perfect for quarantine, some of which are free, all of which are high fashion. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art or going to impactfashionnyc.com. To hear more episodes, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating. It makes my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.